I don't know about you, but there are a lot of trappings to a wedding, aren't there? You know, you have to get the dress right, don't you, ladies? Can't get married without the dress. Can you? I mean, you've got to get the cake right, haven't you? You can't get married without the cake. Can you? I mean, you've got to have the new shoes. You've got to get the new shoes if you want to get married. You can't get married without new shoes. Can you? Really? See, you can't get married without the flowers, without the cake. There's lots of trappings about it. But actually, even though there's lots of things around a wedding, especially the groom's suit, you've just got to get him in a new suit, haven't you, ladies? Come on, talk to me. Focus now. The cake, the flowers, the shoes, the dress, the bridesmaids, the petals, the flower boy, the flower girl, the ring bearers, the best man. Actually, the very bottom line to a wedding is that you say, I do, and you sign to say, I do. That's the bottom line. You actually don't need all the other things so long as you do the I do and the signing legally, then you're married. You don't actually need all the other things. And so today I want us to be really clear in our terms of what we're talking about today. Because you can sing about an empty tomb or you can rejoice in how the disciples were changed and about the experience all over the world. And all of those things point to something. But on their own, they're not everything. The disciples finding faith and that's not the heart of the matter. We can sing and go around all the spin-offs of the resurrection And Jesus wanted his disciples to know that this event was coming. In fact, 16 times before he died and rose again, he told them what was going to happen. On 16 separate occasions, he said, I'm going to be handed over, I'm going to be crucified, but don't worry because I am going to rise again. He said it 16 times before it happened. He wanted people to know what was going to happen. And actually, you can talk to about the largeness of everything. You can say about the resurrection, but here is what it is. Let's be clear. When we talk about the resurrection of Jesus, the fact is that he was stone cold dead. If you felt his body, it was cold. He suffered under Pontius Pilate and his physical life went out of him, not as others had done before and died and some had been raised from the dead through miracles and then they died again. But what the scripture means when it says that Jesus was raised to life, and this is the belief point, is that he was dead, completely physically dead, and his life, physical life, came back into him, and he was raised to be immortal forevermore, and he's alive today. Can I hear an amen in the house? 
You see, and that is your belief point. The resurrection is this decision point that says, like Romans chapter 10 verse 9 says, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, I'm placing Jesus, like Pastor Nick had to place Jesus above his intellect. I'm saying that Jesus is above everything. It's not that those things aren't important. It's not that I don't love my wife. It's not that I'm not going to do a good job. But Jesus takes precedent over all of my life. If I can declare that, and then the Bible says, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This is what the scripture means when it says that Jesus was raised from the dead. That Jesus was dead completely, physically, stone-cold dead. And his life is regained and now he lives forevermore. If you make that decision to say, you know what? I've thought about it, I've been around it, and I, I really kind of just begin to believe that now. I don't have all my questions answered. If you make that decision... And that decision becomes embedded into your life. You begin to work out what all that means. Then you can begin to understand what the resurrection does for you. Here's a few meanings of what the resurrection meant in the Bible. First of all, it means that Jesus really is who he says he was. He really is the Son of God. In fact, the Bible says that that through the resurrection, he was appointed as the Son of God. Lots of people can say lots of great things. They can say, I can heal you, I can forgive you. But the fact that he rose from the dead validates that he said, well, he wasn't just talking, he's done it. He is the Son of God. The second thing that the resurrection means is that we can have an uninterrupted relationship with God. In fact, the Bible says that Jesus made this sacrifice to set us right with God and God right with us. It means that we can have a relationship with God which is uninterrupted. There's not a barrier there. I wonder if you've grown up in a religion where you have to do so many things in order to get to God. Jesus is saying today, I'm open, come to me. The third thing that the resurrection means is that it means that it completes the death of Jesus. We've got lots of crosses on churches and and on some churches they've still got Jesus on the cross and we don't believe in that because we believe Jesus is risen But the resurrection completes the death of Jesus. Paula earlier in her little offering encouragement said we need to be thankful, we can be thankful because of the death of Jesus. Well actually the Bible teaches as well as the death of Jesus, the resurrection completes the death of Jesus. Listen to what it says. In Romans 8.34 it says, who is it then who condemns? No one. It's Christ Jesus who died. And then listen to this. More than that, he was raised to life and is at the right hand of God also interceding for us. All that horror, all that sacrifice, all that payment for the things that we've done wrong is completed by the fact that Jesus said, but I'm shaking off death and I'm rising again. And now, fourthly, it means that I am a priest for you forever and I'm always praying for you. I met a man two weeks ago and he has ran 
a prayer meeting in his church for 14 years, 24-7. There's always somebody praying every single hour for 14 years. And that's impressive, isn't it? But for 2,000 years, Jesus has been standing at the right hand of the Father saying, look at, look at Fitz over here. I, I know when he's going to be born, Father. Would you bless his life? Would you take his course in the right direction? Look at Kathy over here. Father, I'm praying for her. I'm interceding for her. That's what Jesus is doing right now for you. He's a priest forever. Fifthly, the resurrection means... And I don't want to make you sound like an Avenger or a superhero, but the resurrection means that we shall be immortal. (laughs) Jesus said it this way, Before long the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me, and because I live, you will live also. The Bible puts it this way. We know that one who, the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present you to be with himself. We will be, we are immortal. I know if you're checking church out, you're going to say, what? What are these people on? We're on Jesus. We're in Jesus. And he says, you see, Let's not just dumb down the resurrection to a few happy songs. What he says, because I live, you will live. That's the promise. You see, you've got to get into a different way of thinking. Not everything's what you see. Sixthly, the resurrection means that there will be a judgment. In fact, God says it this way. Because I rose him, and you can trust me that I did that, then when I say there's going to be a judgment, you can trust me that that will come. In Acts 17 verse 31, he says, For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he appointed, and he has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. So listen, this is what the resurrection means. That Jesus is that person. He is the Son of God. It proves that. And we've been through all the evidences and all of that. He is the Son of God. It means that you've got an uninterrupted way to God. It means that you can come to God every day, all day, and not be interrupted in that. It means that that the resurrection completes the death of Jesus, and all that suffering is now uh, paid for your sin, but now that he pours his spirit in you so you can live through and above that sin that plagues you. And it means that he's a priest with us forever, that he's going to strengthen us. It means that because he lives, we will live and we'll be immortal. You see, church, we've got to get our heads around how big this thing is that we're singing about today. It means that one day God is going to say, well, let's talk about your life. Let's figure what you are saying you've done with your life, and let's see about it. That's what judgment means. There are several implications, though, for your life right now. When Jesus rose from the dead, 
because he's alive, he says, I'm going to put something of me in you, my spirit in you. And that spirit, that can change you. That can bring you to who you're really supposed to be. You know, I was listening to a speaker, Major Danielle Strickland, who speaks for the Salvation Army. And she tells a story about her son. Now, she's bought her son all the costumes for the Avengers and superheroes. And one day she's having coffee with her friend and uh, she's in the living room having coffee and her son is named Judah and he's about six, seven years old and he comes in in his Superman outfit, jumps on the ottoman goes, I'm Superman. And a friend and Danielle clap and go, yay Judah, you're Superman. And he runs off and goes into the bedroom and comes out in the Iron Man costume and goes, I'm Iron Man. And they go, yay, Judah, you're Iron Man. And he comes out and this time he comes out with a little hammer and his hair in a long wig. I am Thor Ragnarok, whatever his name is. And, uh, and he jumps on the ottoman, I am Thor. And he's got his little red cape and his little blue shorts and he goes, yay, yay, Judah, you're, you're Thor. And the friend says to her, how many costumes has he got? He says, he's got the whole Avengers. He comes out, he goes, I'm Batman. Swishes around as Batman. Anyway, he does it about five times, you know, comes out. And then he comes out as the Hulk. And he's got cardboard box in him. I'm the Hulk. And he's like seven years old. And he goes back and then he comes out. And he's just coming in his white underpants. Just, just in his little tighty whiteies, you know. He stands on the ottoman and goes... I'm Judah. And you know that's what God wants to do for you. Instead of all the costumes, all the labels, all the things that we wear. By the way, I'm not saying that you need to jump around in your underpants and shout your name out. But everything that you say that you are, God wants to bring you to your real self. He wants to shape you and fashion you and design you to be that person that created in Christ Jesus before the worlds began and everything that you're supposed to do and you're supposed to be, that's what he wants to do and put his spirit in you. And he wants to change you and heal you and help you so that you can stand before him fully clothed in his righteousness and say, I am Mark. Or whatever your name is. Because I was always meant to be that. See, the implication of the resurrection is this. You can be the self that you were always supposed to be in God. Thank God for you. I thank God for Jesus, but I thank God for you. The second implication of the resurrection is is that you are, and the Bible puts it this way, that you're translated from one kingdom to another kingdom, or one reality to another reality. It's really strange. When you become a Christian, you become aware of things that you once were never aware of. You, You start to feel things, and things begin to happen to you that you never thought could happen. More than coincidences start to happen in your life. The Bible puts it this way. For he rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of his son whom he loves. We've been translated from one rulership moving us over 
to another rulership. And you're in a new place. And on this Easter day, I want to say to you that living in God's kingdom means some really different things. Turn to one of the parents in the room and say, thanks for bringing your kids today. They're doing great. Just do that just for a moment. Okay, come back in the room now with me because this bit's really important. You've been placed in a different kingdom and it means that you can really change. Does anybody, anybody ever see uh, Charlie Brown Peanuts cartoons? Charlie Brown's Peanuts cartoons, he's got this girlfriend named Lucy. Or at least I think it's a girlfriend because you never ever find out. It's a big mystery. And Charlie Brown, for years and years, puts down a football, now an American football, like our rugby ball, and Lucy holds the ball for him. And just before he's about to kick it, he holds the ball, he runs up to it, and she always takes the ball away. He slides and falls on his back. And it happens over and over and over again. And until one day, the cartoon opens with Charlie Brown saying, I am never going to let you hold the ball for me because you always let me down. You always do that. And she pleads with him, and she says this. Let me read it to you, the exact words of what she said. Charlie Brown, I've been so terrible for you over the years, always picking the football up. You've always slid, fallen on your back, winded yourself. I've played so many cruel tricks on you, but I've seen the error of my ways. I've seen how I've hurt you. I've seen the look in your eyes when I've deceived you. I've been wrong, oh, so wrong. Won't you give this poor penitent girl another chance? Well, Charlie Brown's blown away. He thinks, wow, what a display of grief. And and he responded to it, of course, I'll give you another chance. So he steps back and she's holding the ball so he can kick it as as, as far as he can. He steps back and just before he goes to kick it, she pulls up the ball and he flies through, falls on his back. And she says this to him, recognizing your faults and actually changing are two different things, Charlie Brown. The implication of the resurrection is this. God doesn't just point out your faults. He fills you with the ability and the power to change. You can change. In fact, not that you're terrible and you just need to reinvent yourself. Maybe that's true of some of you. But when you say this with me, I can change. By God's grace, I can change. Come on, say that with me. I can change. By God's grace, I can change. You see, the implication of the resurrection is you can really change. Now give the Lord a clap offering for that. You can change. And on this Easter day, I want to say to you, the fact that Jesus has risen from the dead is, I don't care how many times you've messed up. I don't care how many times you might be a seasoned Christian and you just keep pulling the ball away when Jesus is trying to kick it, that you can change. The Bible talks about another thing 
from the resurrection. Being in his new kingdom means that we act differently. And actually, we act in faith. You see, we, we teach in this church that God provides for us, and we, we know that, but often God doesn't tell you how he's going to provide. In fact, to Moses, he said, Moses, let's part the Red Sea. And you know what he gives Moses to do it? A stick. Thanks, Lord. Really? To the disciples, Jesus said, why don't you feed a crowd much bigger than this? And what he gives them is five loaves and two fishes. And you think, really? But actually, that's the point. God says, look, if you follow me, I'll help you to act in faith where it looks like there isn't a way. And if you believe me, just just with a mustard seed enough, I can open doors for you that you never believed could open. That's what living in God's kingdom's like. It's really unusual. And sometimes we think, oh, it's all by my effort. But God says, no, trust me, believe in me, and I will open things for you. I once prayed to God for a thousand pounds. And I don't want to just do it in money. But I'd got my sums wrong. And I got 1,367 pounds. And actually, that's what I needed. God knows what you need. So I just want to say to you today, when we're translated into the kingdom, we act differently. We can really change, but we have to act in faith and things seem alternate. I I know that there are some Christians in our church who are going through difficult things. And I know that some of their family are saying, how can you go through that? You see, because they've understood the third implication of the resurrection. And the third implication is is that we get strength from another world. In fact, the Bible says we've tasted of the powers yet to come. That we get strength from outside of ourselves. And even though some of the same things happen to us that happen to everybody else. I know there are some people in our church facing very difficult medical conditions. And yet they are facing them with such grace and such strength. And God is healing people around them through their own suffering. It's an amazing thing. The implications of the resurrection are, is that you can really change. The implications of the resurrection is, is that you get to act differently. Sometimes in a strange way. Sometimes in faith that doesn't seem like it's going to work and then it just works out. The implications of the resurrection are, is that you can come to your real self. So I want to say to you today, a lot of Christians talk about going to heaven. And they talk about a destination. But actually, I want to say to you, That after you've made a decision for Christ, it's more than a destination that you get, that it's a destiny. It's an alternate destiny in which we travel in a different way. We travel with faith, hope, and love. When others grasp, we give. When others leave, we love. When others reject, we receive. 
When others fear, we have faith. When others give up, we keep giving out. When others feel hopeless, we hope. When others hear death, we hear destiny. When, when we are weak, in our weakness, he makes us strong. You see, we're traveling in a different way. We're marching to a different drum. When other people are worried about Brexit, we're not concerned at all because we know we're in God's kingdom. And God's kingdom will be all right. When we weep, we weep with those who weep. We comfort the comfortless. We bring hope to the hopeless. We encourage the discouraged. We heal the hurting. We pray for the suffering. We don't just say, we pray. When others have an opinion, we have intercession. When we see a grave, some people see a hole in the ground, but when we see a grave, we see a door to a place of people who were once lost and now are found. We see things differently because we're traveling in an alternate way. When others feel alone, we hear, I'm always with you. I'm with you to the end of the age. When others think that when they finally close their eyes in death, they'll fall into nothingness, we think and we know that we'll fall into the loving arms of Jesus who lives forevermore. We are traveling in a different way, church. We're not in fear, we're in faith. We're not in rejection, we're in receiving. We're not in good works, we're in grace. We're not in frustration, we're in freedom. Is there anybody in this house who has the resurrected Saviour in their heart? Amen. It's time to give Him praise. So I want you to stand with me, if you will. You've been so good with the children and with parents. But I want to just teach you three little things that it means for you. So I want you to just focus with me as you stand to your feet today. It means you've got to start thinking differently. The Bible tells us not to be shaped or molded by the way the world thinks. Not to be pressurized by culture. It tells us, look, Jesus is alive, so think differently. You have to ask yourself, what are the alternate ways and the alternate futures that you have for me, God? Let me tell you, I'm from Stoke-on-Trent. And when I was growing up, even in infant school, this is what they used to say to us. When you grow up, you can work in a pottery factory. There's nothing wrong with working in a pottery factory. You'll work in a pottery factory or you'll work in the steel mill or you'll be in the coal mine. And you're going to be great and you'll, you'll get a council house and you'll get married. And that's what was predicted over our lives. But the Bible says this to us. And for some people, that's been fine. And a Christian doing those things will be an immense freedom because it's not what you do, it's how you travel that's the deal. But the Bible says this, here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, your ordinary life, your sleeping, your eating, your working day life, your walking around life and place it before God as an offering. Embrace what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so adjusted to your culture 
that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. Stop moving your mind all over the place. You'll be changed from the inside out. Really recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you that's always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you and develops the well-formed, mature you. Can I say to you today, change your thinking about you. You can change. The Bible also says that he's broken the empty way of life handed down to us from our our ancestors. You know, there are some tribes in Africa that they call them cursed. You're not cursed. That's broken from you. That's not you. That ceiling, those things that people have spoken over you. Oh, you'll never do this. You'll always be like that. That's broken from you by the power of the resurrection now. Why are you thinking that? But the Bible says, He has redeemed you with His precious blood and remove the empty way of life handed down on you. Those parents, those religions, those teachers, those people in your past that have said, this is you. God says, that's not you. This is what I've got for you in grace and in me. You've got to change now. That's what the resurrection means. So for those people who said, Mark, the best thing you can do, and and it's not... Is, is just to be a factory boy. I've had people say terrible things over my life. But the resurrection says, I break it, I break it now. And some of you have got cultures that have even tribes, Usa. You're not that. You're not cursed. Some of you have got little voice inside your head that kind of says, that's all right for everybody else. But Pastor Mark, what about me? And the Holy Spirit says, yes, you, I know you. The best is yet to come. He speaks that over people's lives. And that's the implication of the resurrection. Jesus, he's got a brilliant plan for your life. You've got not just a destination, but a destiny. Oh, I know you're experienced. And I know that you've watched enough Walt Disney films to know there's a villain and there's a prince and there's always a happy ending. And I know you're a little bit cynical about that. But can I talk to you about a prince of peace who says, I died for you, I rose for you, and now I have an altered destination and destiny for you. See, in the Old Testament, the people of God were in in capture and God spoke into that situation and says, I know the plans that I have for you, plans to give you hope and plans to give you a future. This is how he says it to you. I know what I'm doing 
I've got it all planned out. Plans to take care of you and not abandon you. Plans to give you a future and a hope. Say this with me. I do have a future. Come on, say it out loud. By your grace, Lord. Come on, say it. I have a future. See, the implications are of the resurrection is that you have to think differently now. You have to stop trying to keep up with the Joneses. The Joneses are out of breath. They haven't got it. It's not for you. Overtake them in Jesus. Stop trying to keep up with them. You have to think differently. The implications for you are you are not bound by the limitations and by the curses that have been spoken over your life. Because when he came out of that grave, he broke every curse over your life. That's what the Bible teaches. Every teacher that has said to you, you're stupid, you'll never make anything. Forget it. Jesus has broken it. It's done. It's gone. And our teachers are great people. And the implication of the resurrection is this. He's got a new destiny for you. He's got a new future for you. Now listen, I'm not young anymore, but I know the next few years for me are a new future, a new destiny. So I'm not just giving a message here for, you know, bright-eyed 18-year-olds who've got all their lives before him. Yes, you, if you're 70, you've got a new destiny, a new future in God. If you're 50, if you're 60, I'm not just preaching optimism. This is what the Bible says. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, to give you a hope and a future, and that starts now. Let's worship him together. Come on, let's give him praise. Declare this song. Make it your prayer.